0: The following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, December 22nd at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. My name is Tim. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, let me say a couple of days too early, Merry Christmas. Um, is there uh, anybody who would say Christmas is their favorite holiday? Yes, just like three of you. Okay, good. Well, it's good to know it's popular here. Uh, Christmas is my favorite holiday. Thanksgiving is my wife's. Christmas is my favorite holiday. Uh, Every year, every year, I convince myself uh, right around Thanksgiving that we are going to go full tacky lights at our house. Uh, Full blown out, 100,000 lights, see it from space, drive your neighbors crazy, uh, full tacky lights. And every year... Jen puts up the wreath on the front door and I say, that's probably about enough. Uh, that looks really good. We don't want to overdo it. So, uh, but I love Christmas and someday you're going to come to my house and say, there's, there's some lights on there. Uh, it's going to be great. Um, I hope that this Christmas will be a time of refreshment, a time of healing, a time of restoration for many of you. Um, I hope that you'll be able to join us this Christmas Eve at the 400, 400 West 32nd Street. We're going to be having our Christmas Eve service. If you haven't been before, it is a wonderful time. We join together with all of our services, all of our congregations. Uh, We come together to to worship, uh, to be reminded of of the wonderful, beautiful story of of God sending his son into this this world. Um, It is is a beautiful time right before Christmas Day to, to have our hearts and and our minds turn to Jesus, and so I encourage you to come out. Uh, that'll be Christmas Eve. Um, I believe it's at six o'clock. I don't have anything in front of me, but it's in your bulletin. So please uh, come out and be a part of that. Um, that that idea of focusing on Jesus—that has been our focus and our hope. That is always our hope and focus on Sunday mornings. But the past few weeks, especially during Advent, uh, we have we have been talking about the unexpected Christ. We have focused our attention. On the beautiful truth that Christ does not always do what we expect of him. Since long before Christ came, people have tried to tell God what their Savior needed to be. They've tried to tell God what the coming Messiah needed to do. What they wanted him to do. And we still do that today. I feel like there are many times I go to God telling him exactly what I want him to do. Exactly what I need him to be. What I expect from him. But our desire this morning is to see and to know the true Christ, to see him as he truly is, to see Jesus, not the one that we've created in our mind, not not the one that we desire, not the one that we say that's exactly what I want, uh, but the true Christ and to see that and desire that, to see him and desire him. And so today we are going to be looking at a well-known verse in the Bible. It's from Matthew, the, the gospel of Matthew. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We'll be looking at a few verses, but that one's the well known one. The great 19th century Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, said about this passage there are few texts more striking than this in all the Bible, few that contain so wide and sweeping an invitation, few that hold out so full and comfortable a promise. It truly is a beautiful invitation. It truly is a wonderful reminder of who God is, who Christ is, but it is not what was expected of him. It wasn't what was expected of him then, and if we're honest, it's probably not what we expect from him now. He makes a call here for people to follow after him. He makes a call for those to be his disciples. He makes a call to those who are going to be a part of his family. He is building his family. We will see in a few moments that just a few verses earlier, Jesus says that he has power over all things, that God has given him power over all things. So then it would make sense, and what was expected of him was to come in in that power, in that power and sweep through, destroy enemies, make kings bow down. And so it would make more sense to showcase that power, to showcase to the world his greatness, that he would then call to himself the righteous leaders, the powerful, the important to follow after him. It makes more sense if that's the God that's coming into this world, that he would showcase that. He would showcase the fact that he was going to be called the king of kings but by calling out to the kings of the world, calling out to the rulers of the world to come to him. But he doesn't. He says here that he has power over all things and so he calls out for the weak, the burdened, and the tired to be his family, to follow after him. That is the Jesus that, that, that is present here in Matthew 11. As Christians today, we too often look at people we most naturally connect with. We look at people who seem to have a similar level of education, a similar tax bracket, a similar idea of how to raise a, a family, a similar idea of how to spend our time. Those are the people that we look at and say, we should be Christians together. You should be in my life. I can see you and I being friends. I can see you and I being in the church together. But for those that look and seem very different from you, it is hard to imagine having a meaningful relationship with that person. It is hard to imagine walking together, reading the Bible together, growing together, proclaiming the gospel together, being a family together. And so my hope this morning for all of us is that we would see that we do not fit into the strong, powerful, important category. It's easy, if you've been a Christian for a long time, to think that, to convince yourself of that. But that we would see our neediness, that we would see that we aren't self-sufficient, and how that is the very thing that qualifies us to come to Jesus, because he is all-sufficient. My hope is that we would all see that Jesus is greater than our burdens, that Jesus is greater than our own ways of getting rest, And that Jesus is greater than all of our efforts to save ourselves. My hope today is that we can more fully believe what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. I will refresh the weary soul and replenish all who are weak. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the tables in the back. Um, If you do, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. You can follow along with us, hopefully, on that screen up there. Um, but as you do, as you turn or as you look to the screen, uh, would you stand with me if you're able, and, and we're going to read together from God's Word. Go ahead and read this together with me. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Father. For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son into this world and he didn't always do what we expected. Um, he did what was right. He did what was glorifying to you and he did what was best for us. And so we thank you for it. I pray that t- today you would remind us of our great need of a savior, uh, that we would turn to you with everything that we have, every day, every moment, uh, turn to you in and, 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 and great need and say, uh, you, you are all that I want, all that I need uh, for each and every day. And so I, I thank you for it and we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you may be seated. Years ago, Jen and I had friends coming into town for a visit. This was a time where we really needed a break. We were excited uh, about having them in because we uh, truly, honestly, just needed a fun, encouraging trip. And so uh, I was building this trip up a lot in my head. I had been working what, I, what it felt like nonstop. Uh, Jen and I had been going through a lot, and so um, I had done a lot of planning, a lot of work to make this possible. I was determined that this trip had to be fun. I was going to make it the most fun possible, whether anybody liked it or not. And so uh, we had planned to take our friends to New York City. They had never been, and New York is kind of our happy place. And so I had planned it all out the entire trip. It was just going to be a couple of days. We had gotten our friends excited about this trip, and then we took off uh, for New York City. And so we're driving up there, and we get a little bit past Baltimore, and I get a call. Um, We have a friend that is watching our dog for us. We get a call from that friend, um, and he tells me that we didn't actually leave the key uh, to get into our house. And so in my mind, uh, my first thought to my discredit was, the dog will be fine for a few days. Um, But... I, after Jen convinced me uh, somebody needed to get into the house and take care of the dog, um, I, I basically told my friend, do whatever you have to do. Break in, call a locksmith, uh, whatever it's going to take. We're not stopping this trip, so just get into my house. Um, and so he, he, he does. He, he sets out to do that. And then an hour further, we're about an hour past, past Baltimore now, um, I get a call again from that friend. He tells me that the locksmith came to the house, he cannot break into our house. He cannot get the lock open. Uh, it is it is impossible. Um, most of the time, that would be a comforting, secure thought. But right now, I'm just really, really getting mad. Um, and then he tells me, um, uh, just to let you know, your door is bent now, but we can't get in. Um, so everything is building up in, in, in my mind. At this point, I, everybody can tell I'm starting to get mad. This is starting to weigh on me. And so we stop at a gas station, and I'm, I'm literally pacing back and forth in the parking lot of the gas station, trying to think of some way to get that key to him. I actually thought in my mind, can we go to a post office and send it back to him? And then I realized it'd take two days and we'd be back. And, and so it just wasn't going to work out. Um, so I'm pacing back and forth uh, in, in the middle of the parking lot um, and I'm trying to figure out some way that we're not going to end up going back to Virginia to let the dog out. And as I'm doing this, my friend, who we built this trip up for, uh, comes up to me and says, it's okay, man. We didn't really want to go to New York anyway. Um... Now, now, just so you know what I was going through, we should have a picture of me at that exact moment um, right there. Um, that, that, is, that is an Instagram filter, but that is exactly what I look like. Um, this, was, this was no longer about the trip. I could still feel the literal flame shooting out of my head. Uh, this was about me proving to everyone we were all going to have fun. I was so desperate for a refreshing, fun time that I put all my hope into believing that I could provide the rest that I so desperately needed. The right trip with the right people and doing the right things would provide the rest that I was so desperate for. There are certainly better vacations and trips and ones that have gone better than that. But what I was trying to to, to put together is something that most of us are seeking after. Most of us believe that rest is something that we can make happen, that we can provide for ourselves. I often ask myself and others this question. What part of your life do you not need Jesus in? What part of your life do you not need Jesus to be a part of? Where in your life do you believe that even if Jesus had no part in your life, you'd still be fine? Your job, your marriage, specific relationships that are just come easy, whatever it is, most of us have something. And if we're honest, rest is one of those things we don't really think that we need Jesus for. Rest might be a time where we can kind of get back to thinking about Jesus. We don't actually need Jesus to be able to rest well. To be honest, rest is a hard word for me to understand. I don't really like the idea of rest. It sounds very unproductive. Um, rest is something that, that I feel like I can figure out on my own, though. I might not, might not have enough of it, but, but I know what I need. I know what I want. I know when, we, when I want it. And so we, we know what we desire from our rest. And we don't really need Jesus to provide that for us. And so if that's true, if that's how we think, then we have to ask ourselves the question, is the rest that Jesus offers here the same rest that anyone in the world can get, that anyone can have? Is this rest that Jesus offers us as good as the rest that enough money can buy? Is something that Jesus is offering, can it even compare to what we can come up with, what we can do on our own if we earn enough? Other than maybe taking our Bible and a new book with us on vacation, do we need Jesus for any part of our life, for any part of our our rest? The truth is that apart from Christ, there is no real rest. There are only glimpses, and those glimpses are very short-lived. And they, they create a cycle that we, we work and we work to get back to those glimpses. But in Jesus, there's a better, more satisfying, more lasting rest than anything that we can make happen on our own. So then why do we need Jesus? Why do we need this rest? Jesus here in verse 28 calls out to all those who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. Anyone who is growing weary, to the point of exhaustion, anyone who has been loaded with burdens and is bending or feels crushed beneath that weight. He calls to those who, are, who, who labor, who have been working hard to save themselves. These are those who have been working hard to save themselves. Specifically, he was talking to a group of people who were exhausted from trying to keep the law perfectly. He was talking to a people who are trying to save themselves through obedience, He was looking around at a people who had been taught by the religious leaders, who had been taught by the Pharisees, that to be saved, they had to follow their rules. They had to follow God's rules. But what the Pharisees did was take those rules and make them their own. They started to change them. They started to add to them. Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 4, talking about the Pharisees, he says that they bind heavy burdens. They are hard to bear and they lay them on men's shoulders. They thought if they followed the rules well enough, they believed that God would love them. And then the Pharisees took advantage of that and said, here's a lot more. Here's more that you have to do. And so they were working relentlessly to try to save themselves. And so Christ comes into that. In his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he comes into that. And he immediately at the start of his ministry addresses that, gets to the heart of it. He actually comes in, and in that sermon, he makes it much harder for anyone that is trying to save themselves. Beforehand, people convince themselves, if I do enough, I can probably make this happen. I can probably please God if I do enough. Jesus comes in and wipes away those thoughts. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be better than the best. You've got to be better at righteousness than these religious leaders are. Otherwise, you will have no place in the kingdom of heaven. And then he takes it a step further. In the same sermon, just a few verses later, he just ups the ante even more. He says says this. This is verse 48. He says, you must be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you thought that you were going to be able to save yourself, if you thought you were going to be able to do this, you've got to top the Pharisees. You've got to exceed their righteousness. But not even that. You've got to go farther. You've got to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. If you, if you mess up one time, if you have the wrong motives for doing the right thing, you are not perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That makes it incredibly hard. If you you were tired already of trying to follow the rules, of trying to save yourself, and then Jesus comes along and says, if you do one wrong thing, then, then you're not gonna get into the kingdom of heaven. If being saved by your good works is your hope, then those would be devastating words to hear. It's not the law or keeping that law that will save you. That's gotta be devastating. If you had been working for years, if you had seen your life ahead of you and said, I'm gonna keep on this track. It's gotta be a devastating thing to hear. I've been working so hard and it's not going to save you. We are so prone, though, to try everything to save ourselves before we turn to Jesus. Before we turn to actually see what he's calling us to. And so for many of us, we've realized today we can't save ourselves by keeping the law. We're not good enough. We don't we don't do it well enough. So we turn to the things of this world to save ourselves. We might not put it into these words, but some of you believe that you will be saved. Believe that you will have the life that you desire. Believe that you will find the life that makes you meaningful and valuable and good once, once you get to that place in your career that impresses enough people, impresses your family. Many of you believe that you'll be saved once you find that perfect husband or wife. Once you finally have that perfect amount of really good kids. Once you have that family that looks good enough to put on a Christmas card and send out. And many of you have felt the crushing weight of having those dreams and beliefs let you down. Your spouse has failed you and you feel lost. Your kids have failed you and you've realized they aren't a very good savior. You've realized that you can't make your life exactly what you want it to be. You can't make your life what you believe it should be. And you are tired and you are weary of of working so hard to try and get it. We are trying to save ourselves by convincing others that we matter. By convincing others that we're important. We live in a culture where there is a pervasive thought that busier is better. That busy equals righteousness our careers are longer our children need to be involved in as many activities as possible your job your neighborhood your community your friends your family your school your church every part of it you need to be involved in because we're working so hard to convince people that we matter not being busy equals not being interesting and not being interesting means that we don't matter we want to know and believe that we matter And maybe even more importantly, we want others to know and believe that we matter. It doesn't take much to see this. Honestly, if you sit in any coffee shop long enough, there seems to be always someone talking intentionally too loud at a a table or on the phone, giving their list of accomplishments to a coffee house of complete strangers. It's easy to call them out. It's easy to look at that. It's easy to call somebody and start talking to them about it. We call it narcissism, we call it pride, but it really is just their way of trying to prove to themselves and others that they matter, that they are important. And if we're honest, in our own way, all of us are too loudly proclaiming our greatness to people that will never think we're as great as we want them to think. And so Jesus calls to all of us who have spent their lives trying to be righteous, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find value, trying to save yourself, and Jesus proclaims, you can stop. You can stop that exhausting, never-satisfying, never-ending cycle. Pastor and author John Piper has described it this way. In contrast with the, the Christian life, he says, the Christian life is a life of day-by-day, hour-by-hour trust in the promises of God that will satisfy our hearts infinitely more than if we forsake him And put our trust in ourselves or in the promises of this world. It will never satisfy. It is infinitely more satisfying. Finding salvation in anything apart from Christ will never satisfy. And so he says to those who are laboring. He says you can stop. There is rest. And then he calls to those who are heavy laden. The word here used for heavy laden is meant to express a constant weight. A day by day Every hour, every moment, we are loaded down with weights on our back. Every minute of every day, you are bearing the load of your life, your sin, your shame, and your guilt. They are constantly weighed down. You know your sin. You know if you were to stand before God, he would rightly proclaim you guilty. When they're burdened by that sin, they see that it has hurt others. You see that you can't make it right, and yet you keep sinning. You keep making the wrong choices. You tried to stop sinning and you keep failing. You feel like you've tried to get up and you just keep getting knocked down. Every time I try to do better, I end up failing. I just keep turning back to sin. And it has led to depression. It's led to a sense of hopelessness. It's led to a sense of just giving up. There is still hope. That's what he's saying here. Even when it doesn't feel like there is. Even as heavy as as it weighs on you. It is your neediness and recognizing that neediness that makes it possible for you to come to Jesus. For all of us today, if you don't see yourself in one of these two categories, let me just say this to you to help you out. To everyone in here, at one time, none of you were suitable to Christ. None of you were suitable to come to Christ. There isn't one person in here that God looked down and said, he is pretty amazing. We don't actually need to save him. So you're going to go into this world and that one, you don't need to die for him. We are not like that. He doesn't doesn't promise rest to the self-sufficient, to the prideful. He doesn't promise rest to those that are righteous in their own eyes. You don't become a part of the family of God because of how smart you are, because of how much you've accomplished, how righteous you think you are. We look at people naturally and say we want to be around them because of what they have to offer to us their wisdom, their insight. Jesus looks at us and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. This is what Jesus is saying to you today. If you have been trying your whole life to save yourself by keeping the law, by being perfectly obedient, it has to be exhausting to constantly fail, to try to convince others in, uh, and uh, that you're succeeding, to try to convince yourself that you're good enough, I want you to know there is rest. And for those who have been, been, been sinning your entire life and felt the weight of guilt and shame, the, 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 the weight that bears you down every single day, you carry that everywhere you go. You carry that into every relationship that you have. You carry that every morning you wake up And every night it keeps you from sleeping. I want you to know there is rest. If we're tired of those things, if we're tired of trying to earn the love of others, then we can come to Jesus. He calls out, come to me. We start with him, not with rest. The call isn't come to rest. The call is come to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't come with a list of demands. If you do this, then I will let you come to me. No, he says, right where you are, just as you are, burdened and weary, come to me. When I first read this, when I first sit down to to read this, it honestly sounds a little bit cruel. It honestly sounds a little bit mean-spirited. Maybe it's just my, my, my mind works. But what Jesus here says sounds to me like he is saying, if anyone is so tired that they can barely get up, to anyone who is so weighed down that they can barely pick themselves off the ground, then if you can make it all the way to me, then you can have rest. If you pick yourself up, work as hard as you can, and make it all the way to me, if you are sick, tired, beat up, here I am at the top of the mountain, and if you can make it up here on your own, then I'll give you rest. That's what it sounds like initially. But this isn't a distant, far-off Jesus yelling back to us, come to me. This is the Jesus who came from heaven to earth, who came into this world, who has come close to his people. This Jesus, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus has come near to us and he has brought us near to him. This is Jesus near to you saying, come to me. A few verses earlier, Jesus thanks God that he has revealed this to little children. I love this. He refers to those who believe in him as little children. And when you are teaching a little child to walk, you don't just tell him to get up and start walking. You don't get as far away from him as you can and just tell him, hey, get up and come to me. You take them by the hand. You're close to them. You help them up. You let them keep holding on to your hand. And then you say, come to me. And their face lights up because they're taking steps and they want to be close to you. They want to come to you. And then you let go of their hands and they look shocked for a second and they face plant right on the ground. Um, And then you help them up again. This is Jesus. Jesus has you. He cares for you. He wants you to come to him. This is Jesus crouched down close to us saying, come, let go of these weights, let go of this sin, let go of your your laboring, be done with trying to save yourself. I'm right here ready to take the weight of your sin. Just trust in me and believe in me that I'm here to save you. This, This beautiful invitation is to come to Jesus. It's easy to let rest be the focal point in this because we so desperately crave it, because we feel weary, we feel burdened. So that's the appealing part of this. We feel hopeless, and the promise of rest is so dear when you feel all that. But the invitation is to come to Jesus. Your greatest need right now is not rest. Even if you feel like it is, whatever you feel like it is, that's not it. Your greatest need right now is not escape. Your greatest need right now isn't to stop working, to stop laboring. Your greatest need right now, today, tomorrow, every moment, every hour of every day, your greatest need is Jesus. And in Jesus, you will find rest for your soul. So come to him. Turn to him. But remember that there isn't a moment when you think, what can I do apart from Jesus? What part of my life do I not need Jesus? There is no moment in any day where you are not in need of Jesus. And then he offers this beautiful, wonderful invitation that you will find rest for your soul. The intention of this word is not simply a break. It doesn't just mean to stop. It really means refreshment. If you have been bearing the weight of trying to save yourself for most of your life, you will need to stop that. But Jesus doesn't simply mean that he takes it off of you, that that you'll stop doing. When he says you will find rest for your soul, he means you will be refreshed. You will find strength. Life will be breathed into you, restored to you, so that you don't just settle into stopping. It's easy to just think, I was doing this, I need to stop. But you don't just settle into stopping, but but now you have the ability, because life has been breathed into you, because you have been given refreshment, now you have the ability to move forward, to learn, to grow, to live the way that you were intended to live, to walk in the way that you were intended to walk. It is easy for us to believe that this rest is something that is far off. Most of the time when I think about rest, I think of eternal rest. I think that God has prepared a place for me. There's a mansion in the sky waiting and I'm just gonna chill out and do nothing in heaven for a million years and it's gonna be awesome. Uh, That's how I think about rest most of the time. It's easy to convince ourselves we will never have that in this world. But this is not spoken of in future tense. When Jesus said, come to me and I will give them rest and you will find rest for your souls. He is talking about the present. You can have this rest now and you can have it no matter what your days and weeks look like. You can have this rest in the midst of chaos, in the midst of busyness, in the midst of people letting you down, in the midst of difficulty. There's a rest that only Jesus can provide. You can have this rest even in the midst of grief and suffering, hurting. There's a rest that only Jesus can provide, and that rest will stretch out into eternity. There are so many things that threaten to steal our rest, our sin, our worries, our cares, our past failures, but those are the very things that he came to bring us rest from. He is is so good in in what he provides. It's so sufficient. It's so all-satisfying. He gives us rest from fear of the future. He gives us rest... From always focusing on ourselves. He gives us rest from worrying about what others think about us. He gives us rest from all of the what-ifs in our life. He gives us rest from having to save ourselves, prove ourselves. He gives us rest from the power of sin. He gives us rest from the guilt and shame caused by sin. That is the rest that he gives us. He gives us that rest, but not a rest where we simply just stop, where we just stop working. And that's why in verse 29, we are told, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The pinnacle of rest for most of us in this life is getting to that point in life where we don't do anything. We work hard in most of our lives so that we can do whatever we want with the rest of our time. We can do whatever we want with the rest of our lives. But the rest that Jesus is calling us to is something that stays with us whether we are working or not. It is a rest from carrying the burdens of earning our salvation. It is a rest from feeling like the salvation of the world is resting on our shoulders. The problem isn't doing. The problem isn't busyness. Jesus was busy. Working hard is not the problem. This isn't a call to stop working. This isn't a call to stop serving on Sunday mornings. This isn't a call to serve others less, care for others less, love others less. We are called now to take another, lighter, better, more well-fitting yoke. A better way of working and serving. A way of working and serving and learning beside Christ, alongside of Christ. Where we are learning to follow after Jesus. Learning to be close to Jesus. A place where we can say with the Apostle John, his commandments are not burdensome. And so it is our joy to confidently live, work, and rest in the way that Jesus has called us to. When we take his yoke, then we learn to work in a way that continues to rest in his perfect work. We learn to rest in his grace. We, get to, we learn to rest in his word. And so now we can, in freedom, in freedom from all of those things, learn from him. We can learn from the one who is gentle and humble in heart. We can learn to serve, work, work, love in the way that he wants us to because he is gentle and humble in heart. And so here, here close to the end, Jesus starts to build a case for why we can turn to him, why we can trust him, why, why with the things that we have worked our entire lives to do for ourselves, why for, with the things that we have carried on our back and in our lives and in our hearts for so long, we can actually trust him with this. There are so many reasons we hold on to those burdens. So many reasons we keep trying to figure it out on our own. We keep trying to pick ourselves up. Even when we feel tired, defeated, we still try to just figure it out on our own. We can't just turn it over easily. And it is only trust, believing that that the thing that's going to take that from you actually cares about you, actually loves you, actually is going to do what, 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 what he says he's going to do. It is only trusting in Christ that can get us to start to release our tight grip that we have on the things that just weighs us down. Jesus knows that we will hold too tightly onto things that will lead to our destruction. And so in verse 29, Jesus wants to build our confidence that in our most sensitive, most vulnerable moments, we can go to him. When you actually come to the moment where you admit and confess that your best plans have failed, that all of your attempts have fallen short, it hurts. It hurts to be humbled. It hurts to fail. It hurts to admit that you're wrong. It hurts to repent and confess your sins. It can be absolutely humiliating to admit to others that that you're weak that you're needy, it can be humiliating to admit to others that you're not actually as good as you've tried to make yourself look. And so Jesus proclaims in verse 29, I am gentle and humble in heart. I know this is going to be a loss for you. Even though this is something that has weighed you down, something that you have hated at times, you've still made this a part of who you are. This has become a part of your identity. This has become a part of what you're going to do. You've taken pride in parts of these things in trying to save yourself and convincing others that you can do so much. This is going to hurt. So I want you to know I am gentle and humble in heart. It can be devastating to admit that we're needy. And so we need to believe and trust that Jesus will be gentle and that he is humble. Back in verse 25 where we started reading, it says this, at that time... Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. For those who come to Jesus, we are not described as wise and understanding. But for most of us, we would prefer the label wise and understanding over somebody calling us little children. If somebody in this room said, you're like a little child and you're sitting there and you're 40 and you're just going gonna to get a little mad. Flames will start to shoot out of your head. Uh, you would rather people look at you and say, man, that guy is so wise and understanding. That's what we want to be described at. That's how we want to be seen. And so Jesus here making this description probably isn't sitting that well with people around them. They would rather be seen as wise and understanding, not described as little children. We are described as little children. And so when he says he is gentle and humble, he is describing the way he is with those who come to him. The way he is with those little children. When Jesus is saying here that, that, that no one that is wise and understanding will inherit the kingdom of God. The reason is they won't come to me because they have no need. They believe that they are sufficient in themselves. But in God's grace, these things have been revealed to people that are described as little children. Completely needy. Completely dependent. And and this is going to take, this is going to need someone to be gentle and humble with them. This is a humbling statement. My son Abraham when he first got into kindergarten, uh, he, was, he was five, as most are, and for the first couple of weeks um, of school, he came home, and I would pick him up. He would come home from school, and he would have a different version of this every day. Did you know that my friend John was a black belt in karate? I'd say, no, I didn't know that. Did John tell you that? Yes. Um, next day, did you know that my friend once kicked a soccer ball over two houses? John sounds pretty impressive. Next day, did you know that John has a jetpack in his backpack that he won't let anybody see? At this point, I'm really starting to question John. Um, The next day, did you know John can pick up his dad over his head and throw him? At first, I would just say I didn't know that. But by the time he told me he could pick his dad up over his head, for some reason, I decided I'm drawing the line in the sand. And so in the car, I, I said, No, he can't. (laughs) To which Abraham very genuinely uh, replied, Yes, he can. He can pick his dad up over his head. And so, in the car that day, I very maturely decided, I'm not letting this go. I'm winning this. Abraham, there is no way that John can pick his dad up. It's not possible. He's not strong enough. And now, my son starts to cry. Uh, And so with tears welling up in his eyes, he says, John told me that he picked his dad up over his head and threw him across the yard and he wouldn't lie to me. Now those flames are starting to shoot out of my head again and I'm in a yelling match with a crying five-year-old about the strength of his five-year-old friend. It's not my finest moment. And so I pull out the, I'm your dad, and I know more than any five-year-old friends that, that, that you have. And if you say another word, you're going to your room when you get home for the rest of the night. It's not a great moment. I was neither humble nor gentle. Um, but in that, here's the beautiful thing. There's something right about the trust and belief that Abraham showed there. It was just put in the wrong place. John is probably not a good savior. Um, Jesus says that he has been revealed to little children. He said, if we have the faith of a little child. Here's what that means. When you trust and believe that way in God, then you can say, Jesus said it. I don't completely understand it, but I trust in him. I don't know what my life will look like if I let go of these things. But Jesus said that he will provide rest. And so I trust in him. I believe in him. When you trust Jesus that way, then you know that when he says, come to me and I will give you rest. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know exactly what that's going to look like. You just know that there is nowhere else that you could go that would give you what you so desperately long for. There is nowhere else in this world that can actually provide what he can provide. That is the heart of a little child. We will say with the Apostle Peter from John chapter six, verse 68, Lord, who will we go to? Who are we going to turn to? You have the words of eternal life. You have life. We don't need to look for it anywhere else. When you come to him, He reminds you that it's a good thing to trust in him like a little child. It is our pride and our self-sufficiency that keeps us in our sin. It is our pride and self-sufficiency that keeps us from turning to Christ in any part of our life. It is our own belief in in ourselves and our lack of trust in Christ that keeps us from turning to him. And when you trust in him like a child, he promises a gentle and humble savior. He promises a generous, loving father. He says to you, I won't add to your pain. I won't add to the weight that you clearly already carry. I'm here to heal the things that have been broken. I'm here to restore life to the things that have died. I'm here to strengthen you, to build you up, not to demean you, not to humiliate you. In in, in Isaiah chapter 42, we're told a bruised reed He will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. Those same words will be quoted by Jesus in just a few verses in chapter 12. For those that have been hurt, weak, and feel broken, Jesus is not the heavy-laden father, the heavy-laden ruler that we sometimes believe that he might be. Jesus is not coming in with the final blow. He's not going to go for the knockout punch. He doesn't see someone who is weak, and hurt and see that as a, com- a time to come in and add to our burdens. Jesus doesn't sit back when we are feeling overwhelmed by our sin and say, I told you. I told you so. I told you this was where, where, where this is, was going to lead, but you just wouldn't listen. He sees his people and says, I know you have been laboring your entire life to save yourself and don't know how to stop. I know you have been sinning your entire life and don't know how to stop. Don't know what your life would look like if you do stop. And to all of you, I simply say, come to me. Come to me, I will give you rest. I'm gentle, I'm humble. I promise that you will find rest for your souls. Just a couple of verses earlier, he said those words that we talked about in the beginning, all things have been handed to me by my Father. He has the power to do all that he wants and what he wants is to give you rest. What he wants to do with all of that power is for you to come to him and for him to provide rest for your soul. All the power in the universe and what he wants to do with it is give you rest from trying to save yourself, give you rest from your sin. This is the only place in the Bible where the heart of Jesus is described. Humility, lowliness is the only thing ever specifically referred to at the heart of Jesus. And that heart of humility calls the wounded, weak, and tired sinner to himself. And he says, I will care for you. I will give you rest. A rest that will last, that will refresh, that will restore, that will heal, that will give life, and that will encourage and strengthen our hearts and minds. As we get ready to celebrate Christmas, this will be a break for many of us. For many, hopefully, it will be a refreshing time, an encouraging time, a fun time with family. And for many, this will be a difficult time. As you remember loss, as you remember what you've gone through in the past year, for all of us, I hope that this time will will be a consistent reminder of our neediness and a constant, never-ceasing rest in the promises of God. That we will never stop resting in the promises of God. That we will never become dependent upon our own rest to find what we so desperately want. That we will never become dependent on our own ability to save ourselves, to give rest to ourselves. But that in everything that we do, that we will seek Jesus in it. That we will seek after him. That we will go after him because it is in him that we have everything. Apart from him, you can do nothing what is it in your life that you think that you can do apart from Christ? Because Jesus himself has proclaimed to us that apart from him you can do nothing. So no part of your life can you accomplish to the glory of God, to the beauty and glory of, the, of, of what God has accomplished, what he has called us to do. None of it you can do apart from him. And so The beautiful thing is that Jesus comes in. He comes into this world. He gives his life. He works hard on our behalf. He proclaims that the work is finished as he is dying on a cross. And then he calls out to to his people to come to him. We can rest because of the finished work that Jesus accomplished when he gave his life on that cross. And so in a few moments, for those that have trusted in Christ for our rest, trusted in Christ for our salvation... We are going to be reminded of that finished work that he has accomplished for us by taking communion together. We will be reminded of that finished work by, by, by boldly proclaiming to one another that the body of Christ has been given for us and the blood of Christ has been shed for us. If you haven't ever trusted in Christ to save Savior, you, if you've been working your entire life to save yourself, if you've been in church your entire life and, and, and all of that time you've been desperate to try to save yourself, I want you to know that there is hope, that there is rest. You have not missed the opportunity. You haven't been in church so long and heard it so much that it's just passed you by. There is an opportunity. As the author of Hebrews states in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There is a Sabbath rest. There is a rest that remains. Jesus is still calling to you to come to him. It would be easy to say, there might be rest for good Christians. There might be rest for better people, but not for me. You don't know what I've done. You don't understand how long I've been trying to bear the weight of this. There is rest for you. In fact, everything that you've been doing is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. Jesus has come to you. Now come to him. Trust in him. Believe in him. Just a few verses earlier in Hebrews we're told, we who have believed, enter that rest. So if you believe, if you believe that you can't save yourself, if you believe that you've been trying in vain to get this weight off of you, and you believe that Jesus means what he says and can accomplish what he says, has died and given his life for you and has come back to life, has been resurrected so that we can know him, then there is still hope. The fact that you failed, the fact that you've resisted, that you've tried everything else, doesn't disqualify you. Come to Jesus, trust and believe and rest in Jesus. Take this time, if you haven't in that time trusted in him as Savior, take this time to consider Jesus, to consider what it would be to come to him. It is only in him that that we can rest. If there is no Jesus, then to be honest, we should spend every single moment of our lives trying to prove that we have worth. If there is no Jesus, if he cannot provide the rest that he, he says he can, then we should try our hardest to convince the world that we have value. We should do everything we can to convince everybody that they should see us as important. We should do everything that we can to save ourselves. But the good news today is that Christ came into this world to save sinners, and he accomplished that. It's not something that that we're looking back on and saying, I wonder if that's going to work out. It is finished. It is accomplished. He has done it. He has saved his people, and we can rest and trust in that. So for those who haven't trusted in Christ, take time to consider Jesus. Take time to consider your own efforts and hear Jesus saying today, come to me. We would love to talk to you about it. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to someone around you. And for those that have believed and trusted in Christ, we invite you to be reminded that Christ is your rest. As you enter into a time of rest, know that it is Christ alone that can provide the rest that you need. To have confidence in the work that he has finished. And you will take that bread that represents his body and you will dip it into that juice that represents his blood. And you will remember his work on behalf and for you. The burden of sin is lifted. The burden of saving ourselves is lifted. The weight of sin and shame is lifted because Jesus came into this world and conquered the power of sin and death. So it has no hold on you. There is rest for your souls. Father, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for sending your son into this world. Thank you for giving all things into his hand, and thank you for the gentle, humble Savior that he is. I pray today that, that as, as we look ahead at days off and time with family, as we think ahead to, to fun times, that we would turn to you in every moment of every day, confessing our need, knowing that we need you and that we would see you as all sufficient. We would see you as being able to accomplish everything in our life, that we can see ourselves as being able to do nothing apart from you. But in you, you bring us to life. You, 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 put, you put us on a path where we can follow after you, and we thank you for it. I, I, I pray today that this will be a time of encouragement and refreshment for many. We thank you for it all, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.